Welcome back to CFO Weekly, where we're talking with financial leaders about how to build efficiency in their teams, create time for strategy, and ultimately get results with your host, Megan Weiss. Let's jump right in. Today, my guest is Marvin L. Storm. Marvin has more than 30 years of experience in multi-location operations management, mergers, acquisitions, and developing and executing business exit strategies. After receiving his BS in accounting, he spent his early career with a big four accounting firm. Since then, he has launched and acquired businesses, worked with executive teams nationwide designing and implementing business growth and exit strategies, is a host for the Business Exit Stories podcast, and is currently writing a book on the art and science of executing successful business exit strategies. Marvin, thank you for joining me today. Oh, it's great to be here. I am looking forward to chatting about this. I am kind of uh, passionate about this topic, so should be an interesting chat. Yeah, it's an honor to have you on the show. Um, today, we're going to be discussing exit strategies and why every business owner needs to have one. Marvin, you've not only learned lessons from your own exits, but as a podcast host yourself, you've interviewed plenty of M&A advisors, investment bankers, and business brokers to uncover the good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to making deals. I'm excited that we get to learn from all you've learned along the way, so let's get started. Okay, great. First, tell us a bit about yourself and how you got to where you are today. Well, um, I'm not probably a whole lot different than you are, actually. Um, I took a right turn where you probably took a left because I, I got my degree in accounting and uh, worked for one of the big four accounting firms back when I was a young whippersnapper and uh, was playing a, a weekly pickup basketball game with a group of guys. And uh, one of the later rivals to that group um, uh, became good friends with. And we got to chatting and I grew up in an entrepreneurial home. Uh, my dad had his own business. And uh, so I saw the peaks and the valleys of entrepreneurship. And uh, I guess it was kind of in my genes, but because before I knew it, um, we had turned in our resignations and uh, opened up shop in our own business. Um, we had a 300 square foot office with two desks that faced each other and a telephone and we were in business and uh, uh, we had a good run. We worked, we partnered for about 10 years and, um, you know, as business partnerships go, uh, his goals and aspirations changed. The market changed a little bit and uh, uh, my interests waned uh, to an area he wasn't all that interested in. And so we shook hands and, uh, Kind of, uh, you know, struck it on our own after that. And uh, one thing led to another, and I got involved in a couple of more businesses over my career. And uh, a few years ago, stepped away from one of those businesses and had a an exit. And it was, um, you know, an experience different than my other, you know, exits that I'd been involved in, which were of a smaller scale. And this last exit, um, you know, involved outside capital, private equity and boards of directors and bankers and, you know, attorneys and as such. And I just wasn't as dialed in as I should have been. I thought I knew a lot, but uh, sometimes you don't know what you don't know. And and after I did step away from that business, I kind of reflected on it. I thought I would just kind of fade away and you know, fade to black, as they say, and uh, enjoy life. And when you've spent so many years in the fast lane, 
Um, being in the slow lane or pulled over to the side of the road uh, isn't all that exciting. And so I got to thinking about my my last exit. And if I'd have been more knowledgeable, um, more insightful, had been through it at this level before, I could have done better. Uh, that was without question. And I said, you know, I listen to podcasts all the time. And I said uh, to myself that, uh, you know, there's probably a lot of other people out there um, in the entrepreneurial environment that have their own businesses that have scaled and grown them. And at some point in time, they're going to step back and sell and uh, go do something else or retire or whatever the situation is. And they probably could use some insights. And that's how I got, you know, going down this path of uh, developing a podcast. I just decided I was going to do it. And uh, I took a little bit different orientation instead of interviewing the actual entrepreneurs that have exited. And there's several podcasts out there that do that. I decided I would actually talk to the deal makers, the people that facilitate transactions that help entrepreneurs exit their business. And as you said, uh, these are you know, M&A advisors, you know, mergers and acquisition people, uh, business brokers, CPAs, wealth managers, investment bankers, you know, anyone that's involved in the kind of the transaction flow. And they just come to the podcast and talk a little bit about their stories, the good ones that worked out really well and the bad ones that didn't go so well and why and uh, why they did or why they didn't. And a few unfortunate stories that uh, are really heartbreaking that an entrepreneur spent their entire career or life building up a business. And on that last lap, uh, they dropped the baton and, and didn't have a great exit and sometimes almost got nothing for their business just because uh, they didn't plan or prepare or of circumstances beyond their control. And most of the time that doesn't have to happen. So. You know, my my podcast and the things that I feel real passionate about is that, you know, entrepreneurs, people that spend decades sometimes building a business, they want to be able to monetize all that hard work and uh, and do it well. So that's kind of a little bit of my path to where I'm at today. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, some of those people spend their entire lives, like you said, and put their whole heart and soul into building a business. And uh, to have it end bad, badly has got to be heartbreaking. Well, most of the time, it doesn't have to happen. Um, and if just some thought is put into it, entrepreneurs are really good at uh, doing what they do. And they do it really well because they practice it and they execute on it every day. Uh, and a good entrepreneur that has honed those skills uh, becomes an expert at their business, their product or their service they're offering. And sometimes this can-do attitude where they just kind of figure it out on their own because they're that type of personality that gets energized by uh, problem solving and tackling challenges and kind of through the sheer force of their will make things happen. Uh, and sometimes they get into the frame of mind that uh, when it comes time to sell, they're going to do the same thing. They're just going to make things happen. Uh, the, the data, however, doesn't support that theory. Um, data will suggest that entrepreneurs that show up at the last minute unprepared for an exit generally don't optimize the value of their business. And that's just flat out facts. 
And uh, if they just took a little bit of time to think about it and put some balls in motion before they arrived at the finish line, um, they would create substantially more value uh, at the time of exit than, than if they don't. And you've maybe mentioned a couple of them, but as you look back on your career, are there any like turning points um, that really stand out in your mind as uh, like, you know, changes in your career's path? Well, yeah, I think, you know, every person that's had their business or, you know, been reflective on the the ups and downs and the, the winding road that they take, especially if you launched or started or bought a business, um, you know, there are challenges. Um, I can, you know, remember wondering, and I'm sure all entrepreneurs can out there relate to how, you know, scratching their head and, you know, kind of painting yourself in the corner, not knowing how you're going to make payroll. Um, and then just figuring it out. And, you know, but the turning points in my career, I think, one was uh, early in my career, after uh, I had mentioned that uh, my partner and I went different ways, I had gotten involved in another business. So it involved retail locations. And um, I opened up a, a retail location and it did it really well. And things were going well. And so I decided I was going to expand and open up other locations. And I found uh, three other locations within about an 18 month uh, period of time. And one of them was uh, a brand new location. It was a strip center. And, uh, you know, I was able to get a, a marquee, you know, a, a prime space within that uh, center. And I spent a lot of money uh, building it out, kind of tricking it out to make it kind of my premier type of location. And it was on a busy street. I, you know, did all the things I thought I should be doing. Uh, counting traffic and looking at the demographics in the area. And, and I thought it was pretty cool. You know, I was able to maneuver the landlord and negotiate a good lease and have him cover some of the leasehold improvements. And I was feeling, I was feeling pretty full of myself, quite frankly. Uh, one thing I didn't take into consideration because I, I, I didn't come from this world. I was uh, new to the retail space, you know. I didn't grow up in it. Um, I saw an opportunity and I seized it. And and uh, I didn't know what I didn't know. And uh, one of the things that uh, wasn't obvious to me, even though there was, you know, 90 to 100,000 cars drove by, by this location every day, um, they these people were going someplace, uh, generally to or from work or uh, not really, I, I wasn't really a destination, you know, location. And I chose this location because of its visibility, because of the traffic count, because of the demographics of the area. I didn't understand, you know, the idea of a, being a destination oriented business, which the traffic really doesn't make that much difference. Uh, people came to my location because they had a problem to solve. And they would seek me out, not because they drove by and saw it. And uh, 18 months after I opened up that location, I, you know, locked the door for the last time and walked away because I was losing my shirt on it. Wow. And, um, you know, uh, that was a, a pivotal point in my career because I then 
realize that I wasn't as smart as my press clippings kind of indicated. You know, my other locations were going great and they were less of a marquee location. They were second and third tier locations and they and the rent was obviously lower, but they were killing it. And this location that was so high visibility, brand new location, a lot of money spent in uh, the leasehold improvements, and I lost my shirt. And uh, fortunately, I was able to sublease it, but uh, walked away wounded financially. And uh, so I approached decisions in the future much more humbly. And that was a really uh, painful but necessary education for me as I approached. And that, that, business decision saved me a lot of money in the future, you know, on how I approached other other decisions down the road. So that was a turning point in my life is that, you know, uh, my first business was successful. My, this business was headed in the right direction. And then I stumbled and that stumbling um, ended up being a uh, lesson that cost me money, but uh, saved me a lot of grief and, and pain down the road and, and a lot more money than I lost, that's for sure. Yeah, wow. Um, like you said, I mean, you don't know what you don't know. So do you think it's necessary to, to fall on your face sometimes like that? Or is there some way you could have avoided that looking back? Well, yeah, I could have avoided it if I'd have surrounded myself with the right type of people that had had experience in, in that world. Even you know, I just found this location on my own. You know, I didn't have a real estate professional helping me out where I would outline, and that's what I did in the future, actually. Yeah, that outlined you know what my business proposition was, the type of customers, the type of locations that I'd really needed. I got caught up in in my in the location itself without evaluating, you know, the type of location that I really needed. I got blinded by uh, my ego, basically. And so what I took away from that is, is that if you surround yourself with the right type of advisors that uh, have experience where you don't, uh, generally that works out pretty well for you. And I think any entrepreneur out there that's uh, got their own business, um, you know, sometimes they think they can figure it out, but they're probably better off when, you know, surrounding themselves or bringing in the right type of people that have been down that road before. And I never made that uh, mistake again. You know, I had a lot of other locations and I never made that mistake again. Uh, I certainly had locations that were better than others, but uh, I never had one that I belly flopped on like that one. Yeah. So your podcast is called the business the business exit stories. What exactly inspired you to create this podcast? Maybe you touched on it a bit, but um, let's yeah, just go it was into just it. the fact. Yeah, it's just the fact that you know, coming back to this painful lesson, you know, um, uh, you know, when I decided to step away from this business, see, I brought in outside capital, private equity, and what I didn't really appreciate. Uh, when you bring in an outside investor into your company, you've basically uh, started a time clock. Uh, and I, I sort of understood that, but uh, I didn't really grasp the significance of that uh, because, you know, private equity is simply a fund generally that uh, some uh, general partners 
uh, or directors of that fund uh, attract investments from either wealthy people or institutions uh, that you're going to go out and invest in other companies. And there's an expectation of a certain internal rate of return to that invested capital and that there's a time window, generally five to seven years, maybe 10 years uh, for those funds. And the motivation of the and the promoters of that fund, you know, the, the partners in that fund is that they need to show uh, their own investors in that fund and other future investors that they can execute at a high level. And the way that they show that is liquidation events or monetization events. And so when they make an investment in a company, uh, they're on a timeline. Uh, if they need to monetize that investment. And so they will at some point in time uh, require uh, you to sell, uh, buy them out or liquidate or sell the company. In my situation, sell the company um, because that's how they realize their return. And uh, that return becomes important to them because they will raise other uh, funds in the future and approach other investors. And they're going to point to their past successes of how they acquired ABC company for X and, you know, seven years later, five years later, they sold it for three X and that generated a return uh, in, in their fund. And that return, then they take the track record of that fund and they go to raise money for the next fund. And so, although I intellectually understood that, the reality of it is when things are going well and, you know, you're building your business and you got your nose to the grindstone and, and you can see that path to doubling or tripling your business and you're sitting in a board meeting and, and uh, you know, the discussion turns to, you know, we need to start talking about uh, an exit here. And, uh, <laughs> and I thought, what do you mean? Things are going well, you know, just you know, we wait another couple of years, we'll do so much better. Well, that's true. But, uh, you know, our fund is winding down, and we need to sell by this date. And uh, that, that can be very sobering, because being an entrepreneur, you, you're so used to controlling your own destiny and making your own decisions. And all of a sudden, you have to uh, comply with the covenants that you brought these investments. Uh, dollars in. And um, it worked out fine. But, um, you know, that's what I, one of the things I really didn't understand. So when you talk about why did I start the podcast is, well, those type of situations, just like me, I didn't quite get it, um, understood it, but didn't quite get it. And I thought, you know, these type of insights are really valuable for people like myself that had either bought or started a business and are growing it and scaling it, what are they going to need to know when it comes time to step away from their business? And who better to tell those stories than people that do this for a living every day? And they have a whole treasure trove through of these deals that they've worked on and what, what, how, they, how they unfolded and what were the problems along the way. And I've had you know, uh, people that have listened to the podcast saying, geez, I'm so glad I watched or listened to that episode. You know, it sounds just like me. And that guy's, his exit didn't turn out well at all. And I, 
I was headed down the same path. I'm glad that I listened because I'm going to do things differently now. And that's very gratifying to know that you've been able to, you know, pass it forward and, uh, you know, uh, keep someone from making a very crucial mistake that may affect their family and may affect their retirement, uh, you know, decades of hard work, uh, just from having a little bit of insight into how things can go or not go well or not so well. So it's just been exciting. I've just uh, thoroughly enjoyed the uh, the process, and uh, <laughs> I wish I had had the podcast to listen to when I before I sold my business. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm sure you've saved so many people from from tears um, and heartbreak. And speaking of heartbreak, um, you mentioned having heard some heartbreaking stories. So, what's one that stands out in your mind as an exit that? went badly? And why do you think that it went that way? Well, I'm going to share two two stories with you. One where uh, we had an individual that was just a real expert in his field. Um, he had a personal services business, you know, provided expertise and, and consulting, and was really at the top of his field and his game. And uh, you know, he got to the point where uh, he had some health issues. And um, so he decided he was going to wind down his business. And since it was a personal services business, and he really didn't think he had a lot to sell. And he was just going to sell off his hard assets and walk away from it. And I got introduced to him and, and we started chatting. And I realized very quickly that he had a lot of intellectual property that had a lot of value. Uh, and he was just going to kind of put it up on the shelf and walk away from it because he didn't see a lot of value in that, uh, you know, what he had created. And um, he estimated that he might have gotten twenty or thirty thousand dollars just on a liquidation basis, selling off of the hard assets. And we were able to position that business and approach some other people in the industry, and he got. Uh, you know, uh, nearly 10 times that amount out of his business because uh, it was worth hundreds of thousands of dollars that he never saw the value to, to what he had. And so, you know, people sometimes don't, because they haven't been through it before, he had never sold a business before and he didn't know really what the process was and what was a value and what that wasn't a value. On the other side of the coin, you know, I... Uh, story that uh, an entrepreneur had built up uh, in, in, in the manufacturing field of business. Um, he had built you know, over a period of nearly 30 years, uh, a very trusty guy, uh, you know, as you know, kind of a machinist type of person, you know, that uh, started, you know, on the floor as a machinist and, you know, found a specific niche and built up his business and uh, his business is probably worth $5 million uh, at the time he decided he was going to step away from it. And he had an offer. Uh, he, he worked with a, an investment advisor and had an offer on the table uh, for that $5 million range. And uh, some of the terms he didn't like, he actually didn't like the company that was acquiring him. He didn't get along with them and uh, had a difference of opinions on certain things prior to the negotiation process. And um, he, he had a, a cash deal on the table and, and turned it down, uh, not because uh, there was not anything really wrong with the deal. He just 
didn't like the people that were buying the business and just decided not to do the deal. Wow. Uh, less than two years later, uh, he went out of business bankrupt because that company came in and acquired another company and poured their infinite resources into competing with him. And uh, he basically went out of business and had very little value when he tried to sell it. And there wasn't a whole lot of value there because he was leveraged. <clears throat> and the business did sell, but it went to, you know, pay off debt and, you know, creditors and things of that nature to, hit, to have him exit the business. So, you know, it's those type of stories, you know, a bird in the hand sometimes is better than you really think it is. <laughs> and, and, and it's because of his personality and because uh, he let emotions drive his decisions instead of, um, you know, following the advice of people that he had brought in to help him uh, exit his business. He turned and did not listen to their advice. And so the a whole sad outcome of that, totally preventable, totally preventable. Um, and it's just sad. It's just really sad because it had a profound impact on him emotionally uh, and upon his family. I'm sure. Uh, the, the type of retirement he had wasn't what he envisioned. Yeah. I mean, to go from a, a business that you could have sold for $5 million to nothing just a couple years later, that is a crazy story. Yeah, and totally preventable. Totally preventable. So you know, but, um, I'm also sure that um, some of the stories you've heard are, are happy endings. And so why do you, or what do you see as common characteristics in the deals that go well and the business exits that are successful? Well, this is something that most entrepreneurs, especially, uh, kind of bristle toward. You know, um, I, I remember years ago, I was in a, a kind of a, a mastermind roundtable discussion. And there was a bunch of peers, you know, people that had their own businesses. And I was kind of the younger ones at the time. And there was a guy there that uh, had a lot of gray hair and been very successful in his business. And he, we got into discussing, uh, you know, selling businesses and valuation of businesses. And, and uh, he just flat out said, you know, uh, if you run a good business and pay attention to building a business, the exit will take care of itself. And uh, I always remembered that. And quite frankly, I, I sort of bought into it. Uh, made sense to me, you know, why, why in a, um, yeah, heck would you want to spend any time thinking about selling a business years or a decade before that time is coming? Just focus on the core business and the exit will take care of itself. Unfortunately, uh, the data doesn't support that. It just doesn't flat out. Uh, those people that show up and generally events uh, drive a decision to sell. Uh, it's maybe a health issue. It may be a partner issue. It may be, you know, you're getting burned out. Uh, you know, there are, or the economy or a competitor enters or the technology changes. It's all these things that you may not control that force or get a entrepreneur thinking about selling his business. And generally when that is the driving force into selling your business, uh, you know, you've already uh, peaked or you've already passed the point where you're going to be able to optimize the valuation of your business. 
because uh, you have a limited time. Generally, if it's event-driven, you have a limited time uh, to sell the business six months, a year, year and a half, whatever that time frame is. And uh, when you do that, uh, you take away the biggest advantage of being able to strategically think about how you're going to exit and controlling more of the events and components of an exit than showing up uh, because you now feel that it's necessary for you to exit in a, a specific time frame. And generally it happens when your sales have peaked and you've plateaued in your sales growth or your profitability, and you may have even started to lose some momentum on sales and profits. And that opens, opens up a Pandora's box for the buyer. Uh, why are you selling? And I see that you had two years ago, three years ago, you were at, you know, I'm just going to pick out some numbers here, $2 million in sales. And well, then you went to $2.5 million, And now you're at $2.2 million, And you're trending this year for $1.9 million. Uh, that's not the way to optimize the valuation of your business. If you th think about it, if you were buying your business and you saw that trend, uh, you would want to know why. And generally, you're going to hedge your bets by a lowball offer or providing terms in the agreement that protects your investment on being able to reignite growth or profitability. And so you put yourself behind the eight ball. What you want to do is that you want to position your business where the new buyer has a lot of runway. He has some considerable upside and you've had those year after year sales growth and you can paint a picture then of why there's so much more growth in the future and how they can recapture their investment. And it's not a risky investment for them. It's an opportunistic investment to be able to, to grow the company. And if you and it doesn't take a lot of time or or planning actually to uh, put th that type of situation in motion. But if you don't do the thinking and you don't do the planning, uh, it's unlike you may get lucky. There are people that get really lucky. Timing works in their favor, being in the right place at the right time. But the probability is is that that is a rare. Uh, an exceptional situation than a more normal, frequent one. The, 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 the good exits, to answer your question, the good exits that turn out well are those that uh, the ball has been put in motion and some thought put behind it before the time arrives. That's the bottom line. Yeah, don't wait till your hands are tied. Um, and as a, a business owner on an upward trajectory, it must be kind of hard to discern when you've reached the peak or when you're nearing the peak. How do you do that? Well, you don't try. It's like timing the stock market. You know, you don't try to time your exit at the peak. Uh, you want in the ideal situation, if I were in an MBA class and you know, lecturing on this topic and had a bunch of entrepreneurs in, in the class, I would say, you know, you, you don't want to try to time the peak because you're probably not going to hit it. Just put yourself in the buyer's chair. Pretend you're the buyer of your own business. What would you want to see from your business to be able to, for you to optimize that value and get the buyer to, you know, offer what you're asking or even maybe more? 
And if you do it right, you can you can get a lot more and sometimes spectacularly more than you ever thought you could get for your business if you orchestrate the uh, the exit well and uh, target a strategic buyer instead of a financial buyer. I have some great stories on the podcast where a, a buyer gets 10x return. I mean, they thought they were going to sell it for X and they got 10x. And it was because they positioned their business. They went for a strategic uh, they were able to get multiple people at the table for their business. Uh, company that ended up buying them it was strictly a strategic acquisition and primarily to keep the company from falling into the hands of the competitor. They were willing to box out the competitor and pay a lot more for the company than it was worth so the competitor didn't get it. Uh, they certainly had a use for the products and services that the company offered and they would get a good return, but they just certainly didn't want the competitor to, to buy it. And that was their main motivation to box somebody else out. And if you can create an environment in a situation like that, uh, you can get a lot more for your company, but just put yourself in the chair of the buyer. and what, what would they like to see in your business? If you can position your company to show the buyer that there's a lot more opportunity in the market and that you don't believe that you have the energy, the time, or the skills to take it to the next level. And that's why you're selling and the company you're selling to has the, you know, the ability to take it to the next level. It's common sense. Why wouldn't they buy it? And why wouldn't they pay for your company what you're asking for it if the opportunity is there? But if you if you're at the peak and the company and the buyer does sees that you've sort of maxed out the market and there's not a lot more market share to capture, uh, the, the opportunity isn't there. Why would they pay pay up for it? And so, you know, I, I just think the whole process and and the thinking that goes behind exiting is something that entrepreneurs just don't take any time to think about. And if they did and and started a few years in advance. Then they 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 strategically do things to position their business uh, for an exit when the time comes. Doesn't mean that they have to exit when that time comes. It just means that they're ready. Mm -hmm. I'm actually writing a book uh, generated really from the interest from the podcast. It's going to be called "Pack Your Parachute," and it's really based on the metaphor that a pilot doesn't pack his parachute when the engines are on fire and he's losing altitude. You know, that parachute's already packed and he's ready to go. He may never need it, uh, and uh, but it's ready if, if, if something unexpected happens. And so if you use that metaphor to a business, you know, if you do the right things, that you should always be somewhat prepared to sell your business because of an unexpected event that you didn't plan for. And as I said before, that may be health-related. That's the most common thing. Uh, is that, you know, you get a bad diagnosis from your doctor and then it's all hands on deck and you got to figure out what you're going to do with the business because you're so crucial to the business. And, and if you, if, but if you've done the right things and your parachute is packed, uh, that's, then you just take the parachute and uh, you can move to the exit much quicker. And you know, when you jump, the parachute's going to open and uh, instead of, you know, trying to pack it at the last minute. That's that's generally not the way to optimize the value of your business. And what are your top tips for maximizing price? In other words, how do you create a strong negotiating position and maybe bring multiple buyers to the table? 
It's a great question. Um, <clears throat> it's a long answer, but generally speaking, the, the place where most entrepreneurs don't do the right things, and that is, uh, I'll just give you three. One is the concentration of revenue. People or employees or vendors, there's some, there's some component of their business where there's an over-reliance on a specific aspect of your business that creates risk for the buyer. Uh, whenever there's perceived risk by a buyer, uh, they will hedge that risk. And that's generally with terms or a reduced price. A second is the entrepreneur is really the, the focal point of the business. Nothing happens unless he's there. That will, you just limit the type of people that are going to be interested in your business. If that's the type of, if the type of person that's going to buy your business is someone that is going to be there every day and making all the decisions like you're making the decision, there's a relatively small universe of people out there that fit that, you know, bill, you know, that profile. Uh, however, if you've replaced yourself and you have a good management team and you're not required to make every decision in the business, the universe of people that are interested as far as private equity and family offices and investment groups and management teams, there's a whole new world of uh, buyers out there that uh, would be interested in that type of business. So making yourself uh, you know, non-essential to the business. And finally, you know, the ability just to have the metrics of your business nailed down so that when it comes time to show the financial performance on your business, how it's doing, that you have adequate uh, reliability on in those financial reports and metrics that are kind of bulletproof, uh, that it's all backed up with tax returns and financial statements and uh, and they're accurate and dependable. And so someone doesn't have to second guess or try to interpret what's not there. So, and this is a discussion that could go on for the next hour or two. But those are three of the of the components of optimizing or maximizing value. And it really all comes back to risk. The more risk you remove from someone else stepping in and buying your business, uh, more attractive it's going to be for someone to write you a check. Yeah, I, I imagine that making yourself non-essential to the business is maybe an area that a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with. That's because of who they are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's their personality profile. That's why they're in business. They want to control their own destiny, and it's really hard to let go. Yeah. And once an entrepreneur crass, uh, crosses that chasm and realizes that in order to scale his business and all their, and and if you're thinking in terms of an exit, and able to optimize the value of an exit, uh, he has to be non-essential. Yeah, that's great advice. So if our listeners remember just one thing from this conversation, what would you want it to be? Have your parachute packed. Mm -hmm. You know, don't wait to the last minute. Uh, that's when the sad stories happen. Uh, that's when a lifetime of decades of hard work just do not translate into a monetization event that you were expecting. And uh, I've often, uh, I remember seeing a, a cartoon a long time ago that uh, a, has a rainbow and a guy walking down the street and he gets to the rainbow and he looks down to the pot of gold and it's this little cup. <laughs> you know, 
there's <laughs> not much gold in that cup. And he said, I mean, I've worked for 30 years and this is the pot of gold at the end, you know? Uh, and sometimes that actually is what happens, but it doesn't have to, it shouldn't happen. That's what, that's the, the thing. You just, you just need to, uh, it's not that you have to spend a lot of time thinking or doing about it. It's not the work, work of planning an exit. It's more of a mindset. It's more of a thought process that you go through and how you make decisions in, in your business. Some of those decisions you make early or years before you exit can have a profound impact on the value you're going to get out of it because the decisions created risk or contractually obligated you beyond what you thought. Uh, you weren't thinking about an exit when you made those decisions. And uh, so, you know, three, five years before you get to that, you know, you start making decisions a little differently. So where can our listeners go to learn more and, and start the process of, of thinking about their exit? Well, what I've actually done, maybe some of your listeners would like to just, uh, I have a Certainly, you know, listen to the podcast. I think any entrepreneur out there would would find value in the stories because every every week, you know, every podcast episode has four transactional stories, uh, too good, too bad, and the takeaways. Uh, and for those out there that would like to, a little bit of insight and what you need to do to start thinking about it, I've created kind of a report. So you just go to businessexitstories.com forward slash report. and. Um, uh, just uh, download the report. Uh, and uh, it's a quick read. It's 10, 15 pages long. And and it'll just give you kind of the big picture view. And you can get the podcast at Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. Just subscribe to the podcast and download the report if you think it's something that uh, might be a benefit to you. Yeah, that sounds great. I hope some of our listeners will take advantage of those resources. Marvin, thank you so much for being my guest today. Well, it's been delightful. This is, I, uh, I get really charged up and talking about this because it's uh, anyone out there that has a business should uh, want to monetize all this hard work, the blood, sweat, and tears that goes into it. And it's, it's not that hard if, if you just do the right thing. So it's, it's kind of the point. Yeah. Start planning early. I've really enjoyed speaking with you and hearing about your experiences and the resulting insights. You've given us some really great advice today and, and probably saved some of us from some unnecessary heartache. Uh, to all of our listeners, please tune in next week. And until then, take care. If you're ready to boost efficiency and streamline your accounting processes at significant cost savings, it's time to talk with Personiv. Their people-powered solutions have transformed the delivery of back office tasks and general accounting functions for decades, partnering with clients to provide everything from accounts payable to payroll services. See what Personiv can do for you by visiting personiv.com. You've been listening to CFO Weekly presented by Personiv. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to hear all of our episodes. Want to learn more? Check out personiv.com. Thanks for listening.